Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hi, this is Kevin Burke of Rachel's Vineyard. Welcome to Oceans of Mercy. Friends, as we have witnessed some of the violent and angry and desperate responses to the recent reversal of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, we see a nation that is increasingly divided along ideological, spiritual, and moral fault lines. In many ways, this is the fruit of the 1973 decision to legalize abortion. When you understand just how deeply and intimately abortion injures women, men, relationships, and families, you understand why over 65 million abortion procedures since 1973 has led to this poisoning of our national discourse and the over-the-top reactions, including violence and terror, uh, of many pro-abortion radicals uh, responding to any restrictions on abortion rights up until birth. Today's guests are providentially perfect for such a time as this because they can help us to move in the direction of healing those divisions, the trauma, the complicated grief that abortion has unleashed on our fellow citizens and on our great republic, and also how to reach out with love and practical help to those facing unplanned pregnancy. Dave and Janet Wernley of Fredericksburg, Virginia, help women and men heal from trauma, especially emotional trauma after abortion, so they can live their lives out of their calling and vocations instead of out of their wounding. Janet has led the After Abortion Healing Program uh, at the uh, Pregnancy Health Center. She's ministered healing to women and training leaders. Dave has taken men through abortion healing and is doing the very important work of mentoring men who want to be dads, uh, leading their center's fatherhood program, which I'm looking forward to hearing more about. Janet and Dave also volunteer on, Rachel's on the Rachel's Vineyard team that's based out of Richmond, Virginia, and are now beginning to offer workshops to churches to help make our faith communities safe places for people with past abortions and other trauma uh, and places that they can uh, find healing. Dave and Janet, welcome to Oceans of Mercy. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for having us on. It's really a pleasure. Thank you. And we so appreciate all that you and Teresa Burke have done in this ministry. So we just want to honor that. Amen. Honor Amen. your ministry. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Dave and Janet, we hear a lot in the media, especially after the Roe v. Wade reversal about respecting women's personal health care decisions. You know, my my body, my choice kind of rhetoric and the like. In your experience, is that why women make the decision to have the abortion or is from your experience and it's extensive, is there something else going on? Usually in, in our experience, there's something else going on and it's usually coercion. Um, it's, it's often, we, we like to call abortion the unchoice um, because a choice by definition has two options. Um, I, I use the example of the time of this, the elections in the old Soviet Union, they wanted to be viewed as a free society just like America was. So they had, they actually had in the Soviet Union in the seventies, they had free elections. There was only one name on the ballot, but every Soviet citizen was free to go to the polls and vote for that one party selected candidate. Well, that's not a choice. 
is it? If there's if there's only one option, a choice by definition is two or more options. So when there's only one option, it's not really a choice, which is the whole irony of the pro-choice um, uh, position. Is it's is most of the time it's it's not a choice. Most of the time, people don't make this. Women don't make this choice because they're they're free and they're choosing among the best options. Often it's the only option. It's not a sign that women are free. It's a sign that they're desperate. Janet, would you concur with Dave's assessment? And I'm also interested. Are you? Uh, is that coming from your your experience, the both of you, uh, in your pregnancy resource work and in your abortion healing work? Because exactly. folks might wonder why why do you think that? You know, because we're, we're we're always hearing this propaganda from the other side. So could you? Could you share your well, perspective? In a, in a pregnancy resource center, a woman usually comes in in, in great turmoil and she's making a fear-based decision where she's not in her logical mind. So fear and oftentimes coercion, the pressure of circumstances, people, and it's a desperation because they're, they don't see solutions when they're in fear. And, and for those in the vineyard and in our network, uh, we're connected with a network that's Maryland, D.C., Virginia, with other pregnancy centers, Project Rachel, um, other churches. And there is just a lot of trauma involved in backstory as well, um, previous trauma that, that can and be a factor. That's a really good. That's a very good point. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize the role of, of those previous traumas and other kinds of issues. And you guys, both of you mentioned various forms of pressure that make it very difficult in an atmosphere of anxiety and fear to really make an informed decision. And, you know, I've heard from many guests, uh, Jen and Dave, I've heard from many guests that when they went to Planned Parenthood, people telling their abortion stories, if they went to Planned Parenthood instead of a pregnancy resource center, they were not given uh, any option other than abortion. In fact, they were steered very powerfully in a way that used their fears to make them see abortion as the only reasonable solution. Would you say that's your perspective from your experience as well? Yes. And in a pregnancy resource center, our desire is to slow them down and get out of a trauma response. And that's particularly if yeah. they have... Um, because they're not going to make a logical reason in a response. If they're being pushed, if they're being pressured, it's not going to be. Um, and I've heard so many say, if I'd had one more day, if I'd had, you know, one more day, I would have made a different decision. So oftentimes time and pressure um, influence people. It, it reveals to us, to our listeners, and, you know, if there's anybody just going through the dials right now who may be neutral or even pro-abortion and thinks that and, and some of the horrible rhetoric about pregnancy resource centers, including violence and attacks on them by pro-abortion forces, they're offering women real options. And when you talked about slowing them down and it's it, they need to understand that it is Planned Parenthood and the pro-abortion forces that don't give women options. So uh, please support your local pregnancy centers in any way that you can financially. Uh, you know, if, if you can volunteer in any way, it's so important. So thank, thank you for that very important work you're doing. And it, it's interesting, isn't it, that you're doing both helping people who have experienced abortion trauma, but you're also helping those who are facing 
an unplanned pregnancy puts you in a unique perspective, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I think we're all in pro-life ministry. And um, I think our bend is more towards the healing. I mean, we want, we want to, we want the whole woman, the, the mother and the child, um, to be ministered to, and the men, obviously, and the family. But um, I think our my passion, our passion is for the healing, particularly of those who've been wounded. Well, let, let's look at that a little bit because you know, Planned Parenthood and pro-abortion folks they say that abortion is you know is a benign procedure. It's simple. Uh, it's not a big deal, um, and you go on with your life, you know. I think what some sometimes feeds into that is that for folks who don't have previous trauma, they can on the surface appear to be fine. They do get mm-hmm. people who, who uh, have abortions and are already kind of moving in the direction of uh, nursing school or finishing their degrees and things. Many, not all, but, but a number of them are able to pull it together and continue on. But whether someone is experiencing abortion as traumatic or they think the abortion was a nothing event in their life. Are there lasting effects from abortion? What's your experience, uh, Janet and Dave? Is are, are you saying that there are lasting impacts from abortion on people? Definitely. It may take decades to surface. It could be an incident of a loss, um, pet dying or something triggering. But um, for the most part, we see people just pushing that experience down and wanting to forget it which takes a tremendous amount of emotional energy to, to operate in denial over decades. Mm-hmm. And um, it comes out sideways. We would say yeah. no emotion unexpressed. <laughs> it's going to come out sideways. Yeah, and, there's, uh, there's no such thing as an unexpressed emotion. <laughs> and so you, you can stuff it down. But uh, the, the example I use with guys is... Um, have you ever changed the oil in your car and put the oil in a milk carton and put it in the garage and it's raining so you don't throw it away that day um so you're going to get the next day but you forget and then a box gets put in front of it another box gets put in front of it and you forget it's there and then eight months later you pick up a box and you're, what is all this black gunk all over this box and it's from that oil way in the back that is leaking because eventually that oil in that cardboard milk carton is going to come out. It's going to leak. It might be good for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, yeah. but it's it's coming out. It's it's leaking, and it's going to infect all the boxes around it. Mm. Um, so you get this to the source of that wounding there. Um, That's a great example for guys. I, I like that. <laughs> you know, to get a, a good visual to understand how that, you know, that gets gunked up. How are you guys seeing, and I like how you said that, you know, it's, it's good. To, it's good to find, sometimes I talk about in terms of um, like, you ever see steam that breaks through the earth, like it geysers and things, and you know, it can happen mm-hmm. slowly or sometimes it comes out kaboom, but how are you <laughs> seeing, what are the symptoms you're seeing in people's lives um, that you've learned over the years uh, that you're, that, that, tell you that well, that abortion, they, they might not even be conscious of it, but it's impacting them. What do you see? We often see relationship issues, um, families, um, multiple divorces, um, PTSD, um, just a lot of anger and depression. And even clients that I've seen in the pregnancy center um, start having depression and you say, well, when did that start? 
and they don't necessarily connect it with that abortion. Um, they kind of put that out of their minds, but it's like, where did that anxiety and depression start? And so, yeah, often for for men, it um, it starts this downward spiral of uh, of self sabotage, of um, like Janet said, the destructive relationships. Um, mm -hmm. For men. Uh, it, it actually affects the, the partner's pregnancy actually affects their body too because her hormones are changing so her pheromones change she smells different and his body picks up on that as early as eight weeks even before a lot of times she knows she's pregnant he may not even know she's pregnant but her his body knows she's pregnant because she smells different so his wow. body starts changing and he gets different hormones he gets cortisol which is like adrenaline, it's nature's way of saying, pay attention, something's happening here. Um, <laughs> he gets uh, prolactin, which is a breastfeeding hormone of all things. He gets uh, estrogen. Uh, they make him kinder, they make him gentler. He gets vasopressin, which is a sexual bonding hormone. It makes him feel attached. Um, and his testosterone drops like a rock. It'll go back up again. But in his lifetime, it will never reach the level it was at before his partner's first pregnancy. Well, wow, that is fascinating. His lifetime. So what's going on here? He's experiencing God's design. God is transforming the hunter-aggressor into provider-protector. Hmm. So because of the stuff going on with his hormones, he's feeling more attached to this woman than he ever has in his life to, any, to anyone. Meanwhile, she goes out and has the abortion. Maybe he knows about it. Maybe he coerced it out of his own fear. Um, often the, the guys end up coercing it or they say the line that the culture has taught them to say, um, I'll support whatever decision you make, dear, which she hears as he doesn't want this baby. Well, Dave, you know, real quick, it strikes me that based on what you were sharing, it's really fascinating about the hormonal changes. I can also see a man, I never thought about it this way, but I can also see a man who's, who's being, who feels he's being very compassionate and saying I, he wants to support her in her decision. Like hit, that hormonal changes could make him be more tuned into her and want to be supportive and caring to her. But the whole abortion uh, framework twists that. It twists him from being in a protective mode to then getting sucked into being in this kind of false protective mode, which then as you, I think if you didn't point out, I, I may have interrupted before you said it, but you were going to say, I think, or said that uh, the woman interprets this as I'm not going to be there for you. Right. Like it's your decision or it's like, I have the full burden of this thing. Right. right. I, you probably heard that on retreats where women say I, I had the whole, I had to carry the mm -hmm. whole thing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the exercises we do is is a responsibility or an influence pie of a circle. And we just say, draw the graph of in the circle of who had the most influence on you. And um, one of the things we see a lot is they'll put all all me. I was all I was 100% responsible for this. Mm. Well, you, you really weren't. You know, there, there was a guy, you know, do the math. There, there was a guy. Um, who who may or may not have spoke up, who may have coerced the decision. Um, we've had a, a lot of women, on, especially on Rachel's Vineyard retreats, that uh, were in fear of their life. 
for um, be, because the man was like, you either get this abortion or I'm going to beat the snot out of you. So in that case, you have such you have men who have been formed in a way probably and I having done some prison work in, in, with uh, prisoners who have abortion loss who involved in violent crime and stuff. If you got major father wounds, you've had abuse in your past, you develop kind of narcissistic personality traits to compensate for your deep wounds in your male personality and your relationship with your dad. In those cases, you're not you're not going to be in touch with those hormones. The anger and the rage and the control, and the narcissism are going to be too powerful, right? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so what happens is he's feeling more attached to this woman than he ever has. She has the abortion, and she has af after an abortion. It's a very unnatural procedure. It's it's odd to even call it a medical procedure because a medical procedure helps you when the body is not doing what it's supposed to do. A medical procedure helps the body do what it's supposed to do. Well, Crazy. The body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. An abortion comes natural. in and unnaturally cuts that short. That's so after an abortion, a woman. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, after an abortion, a woman actually has more cells from the fetus left over in her uterus than after a natural birth. She has 500,000 cells that are still communicating with her about that pregnancy on a cellular level. So she's trying to forget it as, as much as she can and move on. And her body won't let her. So what makes her think of it more than anything? Looking at him, talking <laughs> to him, being with him. So she drops the relationship she had the abortion to save. 75% of relationships that experience an abortion fail within the first month. Mm. So he feels sense. like, right. and spiritually, he may not even know the abortion happened. His spirit does. And so he's feeling like, you know, he's had breakups before, but there's something about this one that just won't let him go. And he's feeling this sense of failure when he looks inside himself where his self-confidence used to be. And as a guy, we can't let that out. So we, we medicate it. I just need to find another woman. Pornography. Drugs, more alcohol, whatever I need to do to medicate this overwhelming. Dave, I was, uh, and I'm going to transition to the healing part, but real quick, I just want to say to our listeners that pornography can be a part of that when you talk about the self-medication because pornography stealing in the is in the areas of uh, sexuality and a way to focus uh you know rituals of shame and acting out and self-medication around the cycles that you have associated with porn use and porn addiction um that can also be a, a way that men at least partially uh, act out some of their pain and that's such a readily accessible drug these days. And uh, something in many, as any priest confessor can tell you, <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a very common confessed sin right. as yeah. well. So um, listen, I want to just transition now into the healing mode because you guys have some interesting insights. And I think we're really helpful for our listeners, listeners and viewers to understand. How is Rachel's Vineyard uh, and some other, uh, you know, good ab abortion healing models like Save One and Forgiveness Set Free, how are they different from more of an intellectual kind of a study-based of Bible study program? Could you could give our listeners an understanding about that? Yeah, so there's kind of a... Um... Our, our culture has has a lot of roots in Greek philosophy where we kind of separate um, our intellect from 
everything else. So emotions, eh, yeah, whatever. It's the mind that's important. You know, we exalt our mind and we exalt our intellect at the expense of our heart. But abortion is trauma. Um, a lot of people suffering from abortion, both on the male and female sides, both men and women suffer from PTSD after this trauma. And trauma lodges in the body. There's there's um, a couple of great books on on this. Um, Forbidden Grief by Dr. Teresa Burke. Your, 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 your wife. You've heard of that. Um, uh, really good. Documents from a clinical point of view how, how uh, women suffer and men suffer from PTSD. In, in the clinical definition of the term, after uh, an abortion. There's another good book by Bessel van der Kook, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, about how trauma lodges in the body. Um, so an intellectual Bible study where I'm just going through my intellect and checking boxes and filling in blanks, it's not going to get there because we're just, we're just in the mind. It's safe up there. That's safe. But I don't want to go to the heart where the hurt really is. Um, and the beauty of a Rachel's Vineyard Retreat and the living scripture exercises that um, Dr. Teresa Burke has designed into the retreat is that it affects all the senses. It involves all the senses. There's uh, smells in the retreat. There's a lot of care putting into the pictures on the wall, everything that's seen. It's not just a room with um, uh, metal folding chairs. Although we use that, that's all we have available. But typically we like to have couches or something with fabric in it. We'll put quilts down so there's there's fabric people can curl up in. Um, there's usually not overhead fluorescent lighting. There's usually lights we put on on tables, you know, with tablecloths over them. So it's, it's more of a warm, um, yeah. inviting atmosphere. Um, and each of the living scriptures go through uh, a, a Bible story in three ways. <laughs> Um, there's there's a um, the actual reading of the story. They actually read the story straight from scripture because people may or may not be familiar with it. And then they'll read it again as a fictional narrative where you are a character in the story. Um, what it felt like, what it smelled like, what the um, what the dusty streets of Jer Jerusalem were like um, as you're interacting in this story and you're a character in the story. Um, and then the third way they go through it is they usually take a piece of the story and have a, um, a ritual or a script in it that everyone around the room can, can say. Um, and you know, this, uh, um, Janet, go ahead. Mm -hmm. um, trauma that happens in relationship is best healed in community in relationship. And these retreats provide a safe place a very safe, confidential place for people to process all that emotion. And it's it involves all the senses because the trauma has involved all the senses there. Things that trigger, sounds and smells that trigger. So mm -hmm. we try to incorporate that in the healing process. So there's you process, that there's things you feel, there's things you say, there's things that... Um, Give you the opportunity to engage with with what's going on in your heart uh, you hear that in the you hear that in the stories don't you where um folks talk about the triggers like when you mm -hmm. you know the, when you talk about smells i mean i, I i've heard so often uh you know i drive it i drive a different way to work now because i don't want to go by the clinic 
Mm -hmm. So just seeing this, this abortion center, uh, you know, uh, the sound of a vacuum cleaner reminds me of the uh, mm -hmm. suction machine. Um, the mist, if, if when, there, when there, it's a misty day, when there's kind of a soft mist on a summer day, that right. reminds me of the day I got my abortion. Like those things connect you to the abortion and people oftentimes try to avoid them. You guys are talking about engaging the sentence, sense, senses and creating an atmosphere where you can engage those emotions, but remain what grounded or yes. so yes. that enables you then to work through that. Right. And then rather than drink and drug and run and work too much yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> right. a safe place. There's a, um, a great story I like to tell from a guy named John Sanford who started kind of taught the church how to do inner healing. Um, and he tells a story about buffaloes and cows on the Colorado Plain. Uh, thunderstorms, you know, as you know, weather moves across the United States from west to east. And when a thunderstorm comes across the, the plain from the west, the cattle do the logical thing, quote unquote, and run east away from the storm. But since they, they can't run as fast as the storm does, it eventually catches up with them. And because they're moving the same direction as the storm, they stay in it a lot longer mm. by trying to avoid it. Buffalo, on the other hand, when they're afraid of something, they're, they're just as terrified as the, of the thunderstorm as the cattle are. But when buffalo are afraid of something, they charge it. So <laughs> you never want to get a buffalo scared because he's come at you. Uh, <laughs> free bonus tip for today. Uh, so buffalo, when they're afraid, they run directly into the storm. The storms coming from the west, they run west directly into it. And because they're moving the opposite direction, they get through it much faster. And John Sanford's point was you've got to run into the pain. And he actually said we need to embrace the fireball of pain. So by, by trying to avoid the pain, we actually prolong it in our lives. But when we go into the pain, mm. when we're willing to go into that painful, scary place and deal with it, and do the grief work. It is a loss. We've lost a child. And it's a grief that neither society nor often the church allows post-aborted people to, to grieve, to have, to admit, to process. Mm -hmm. And doing that grief work, going through the pain, mm -hmm. is, is, is where the healing happens, is where the Dave, healing comes from. Dave, I, was, I, I, I appreciate you sharing your own grief there. How is that grief different from that grief that you run from? Because there is a difference. Could you share, and this is for Dave and Janet, because I think it's such an important point. You know, there, there's kind of comp complicated grief that you don't get a chance to really work through and it comes out in all kinds of nasty ways, but you just shared the beautiful, in a sense, grief that's different. How is it different now with that grief? Well, one thing that Teresa says in her book is this um, abortion um, loss is a complicated grief because society has not allowed this to be expressed. And um, it's not like a conversation you bring up. And a lot of times one can be shut down and say, well, I didn't think that was a big deal or, you know, um, it, it isn't always safe having that conversation. And it's not a conversation that comes up. And many don't even use that word. So it is a very complicated grief because it's not been worked through. <laughs> it's right. been avoided for a long time. 
don't sense. know if that's what you're asking for. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was also mindful that uh, it's a the grief that that you're expressing, Dave, is a grief that comes out of healing. It's mm -hmm. rooted in the relationship that's being reestablished. I'm guessing with uh, you know, and you have abortion loss, Dave. No, I, I haven't, but um, I, okay. I'm not so supportive, but I, I have a, um, and I'm not, I, I don't pretend to know what it feels like, um, but I I have a lot of empathy for it. And um, So you have a heart, and I guess that's partly a, a vocational where the Lord has put that in, uh, the Holy Spirit has given you that gift of having a, having a heart. Because you, you, the way that you express that grief is like someone who has had healing. So it's very mm. beautiful to see that. And I'm sure that's very helpful in your ministry to men and, and to men and women. Dave and Janet, we have about five minutes left. So <laughs> I, I want to make sure if you want to get to, uh, you know, the, the, the last two areas we wanted to cover was, you know, make uh, churches and looking at them as healing communities, but also the very important uh, video series that you to develop. So I'm going to leave it up to you how you want to spend the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, we have a, a free resource available for your audience. Uh, we we did a, a short series of five videos and they're, they're short. They're only six to seven minutes long. Um, our website is on the screen there, identityandwholeness.com. Uh, if you put a slash after that and the word post-abortive, um, there it is on the screen, identityandwholeness.com slash postabortive. Um, you can download a, a, a PDF that has links to all five videos, and it also has a summary of what's contained in those videos. Again, they're short. They're all just six, seven minutes. But it's about how to make the church a safe place for postabortive people. Um, in the church, we're not therapists. We're not trying to replace therapists. We're not trying to replace therapy. Um, but if you talk to therapists, the number one thing of is someone, is this client, whether it's post-abortive trauma or some other trauma, are they going to get healed? The number one thing that leads people to get healed is do they have a good support system? Do they have a healthy support system of people behind them that mm -hmm. can walk through this trauma with them? And the video series it explains how we as the church can do that, how we can be helpful in in accepting people's stories in not minimizing their stories and not discounting their pain but how to uh how to be there for people um i, I think in the the book of job job's three friends kind of get a bad rap and and rightfully so but they got it right for a whole week when they showed up they sat with job in the ashes of his with these, and then they opened their mouths, and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> but these it's interviews a lost art are with church. our Rachel's Finger team, so they're they're speaking, they're oh, um, nice. interviewed them. So it's our very seasoned leaders that have well, been in uh, Rachel's Finger so a long time. So yeah, how would a, how would a, how would a parish? Uh, how do you see them? You if, if and you can share any experience you've had with the use of them. Or unless it's a, a new program, but how would you envision a parish using uh, this kind of uh, videos? Uh, they're short. You could, you could watch all of them in an hour adult Sunday school class just to start the conversation, just to start raising awareness. Um, 
we've had so many, uh, we hear all the time from, from pastors and priests who say, um, yeah, the, the culture has a problem with that, but not in this church. Nobody in this church is. <laughs> we're Christian. We don't have, you know, a problem. We're, we're pro-life, you know, and that's great. We should be pro-life. That, that's great. Yeah. But yeah. what they don't realize is one out of four people is post-abortive. One out of four women has had an abortion. Do the math. One out of four men has fathered a post-abortive child. Many of the men don't even know it, but they're caught in this downward spiral. And if you listen to this and you're a man, if, if you can go back in time and there's that one relationship that that just sent you into a tailspin, mm-hmm. you know, you may have fathered a post-abortive child and not know it. Um, Good point. Yeah. And you, you may be post-abortive and, and healing like a Rachel's Vineyard retreat um, is can be really a powerful, healing, positive uh, watershed step in your life. Wow. I hope that uh, anyone who's watching this, uh, perhaps they're on the Respect Life Committee at their parish. Um, Maybe they have a good relationship with their pastor uh, and they can say, look, you got to check out this program. This is something that I think can really help us have a better awareness of the issues that people are dealing with and help lead them toward healing. And maybe you can watch it initially with your um, either your outreach team at the parish or maybe the respect life committee could sit down and watch them themselves with the, with the pastor. Mm-hmm. There's just so many ways that, um, that uh, these could be really useful. So I'm so, I'm so happy you guys have developed this. This is beautiful, a uh, beautiful, pro- sounds like a beautiful program. I'm going to have to check them out myself. It's the first time mm-hmm. I've heard about it, but I'm very excited about it. Well, thank you. We, we are available. Of course, you can reach out to us on the website. Um, for, for speaking, for doing workshops, um, doing seminars during the adult Sunday school hour. So there's no additional logistics the church has to do. You're, everyone's already there anyway. Um, it's, it's a great time to, um, to talk about this. And the videos go into what it's like to be post-abortive because people don't know. How far uh, are you guys, do you guys travel a little bit if someone wants you to come and speak to their faith community? And I'm sure you're open to speaking to uh, Catholic and inter- interdenominational communities mm-hmm. as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. of course. Yeah. So, uh, what's your we what's were, your regional? Uh, how far do you go? <laughs> we were in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is uh, halfway between um, Washington D.C. and Richmond, Virginia. So, certainly anywhere within driving driving distance, you know, Maryland, Virginia, Carolinas. Um, is is easy uh if it's out of driving distance uh uh you know we can certainly get on zoom you know during a many churches have a capability to um do a zoom sure we could certainly do that um and if if there's funds for travel or whatever to cover travel expenses you know we'd, we'd be open to talking with them about that beautiful well, thank. I just I want to thank you, uh, Dave and Janet. I, I really was. I just love what you shared today. I think it's got so many wonderful uh, messages and uh, can direct people towards healing that loss and healing that trauma in their lives and pointing us towards the future of, of hope. So, thanks for taking the time and sharing from of your work today. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much, Kevin. Thank you we for having us on. You so much. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, don't let this beautiful message stop with you. Uh, this, uh, the link to this show is going to continue to be available. Share it on social media. 
share it in uh, an email. Make your your pastor your, uh, of your faith community aware of this. You know, maybe the spiritual leaders in your community. Let them know about this and the good news. And isn't this a beautiful time? Uh, you know, unfortunately, the media is going to highlight some of the reactions to the Roe v. Wade decision. But our nation now, with this grace that's flowing from this decision, our nation is ripe now. Ripe. There's so many people that may be open to healing this message of healing and uh, dealing with this, uh, the abortions in the news now. It's raising uh, anxiety in some. We need to be coming across with a message of hope and healing for those who have had abortions and certainly for those facing unplanned pregnancy. And of course, friends, you can go to abortionforgiveness.com, put your zip code in there, and you will find Rachel's Vineyard and other great healing resources in your community. Thanks so much for being with us today on Oceans of Mercy. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.